Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. The thing of it is, when they spotted the aircraft, him and the driver, they pulled over the side of the road, and they were in a nice clear area to see it, too. When he got back in the car and noticed the time, two hours had gone missing. Just like that. You know, they stopped to look at this thing at around 2 o'clock, and when they got back in the car, it was here, it was 10 after 4. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. We talk a lot about UFOs, ETs, abductions, but admittedly, the Roswell case, the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, or as it's known in the U.S., the Bentwaters UFO case, they get a lot of attention. What gets neglected are the multitude of credible UFO sightings in Canada. So I thought I'd redress that tonight and talk about some fascinating UFO cases in a particular region of Canada, namely the Maritime Provinces. Perhaps the best-known UFO case to take place in Canada you might even call it our Roswell, was the Shag Harbor UFO incident. 
in which there was reported the impact of an unknown large object into waters near Shag Harbor, which is a tiny fishing village in, in Nova Scotia, back on October the 4th, 1967. The reports were investigated by various um, civilian, the RCMP, the Canadian Coast Guard, military, the Royal Canadian Navy, the Royal Canadian Air Force, agencies of the Government of Canada, and the U.S. Condon Committee. So we're going to talk about Shag Harbor, but that's not all. There's also been a number of intriguing abduction cases that allegedly took place in Atlantic Canada. My guest tonight has written arguably the definitive book on the subject of the uh, 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 sorry uh, the, the definitive book on the uh, subject entitled The Maritime UFO Files, which is a collection of some 140 UFO incidents in Atlantic Canada, some of which predate the famous Kenneth Arnold sighting of 1947. Don Ledger is a writer, author, pilot, and researcher. He's appeared in numerous document documentaries on radio and television programs like um, talking about the unidentified flying object phenomenon that has been in vogue since 1947. Don has given lectures all over North America about the UFO phenomenon, specifically the Shag Harper incident, which captured the world's attention upon the publication of his book Dark Object, which he co-wrote with Chris Stiles back in 2001. His current book, is the mystery suspense novel Blood Shock, which can be seen at uh, Amazon.ca. Other books published uh, by Don Ledger can be seen on his website at DonLedger.com. They include the critically acclaimed book Swiss Air Down, the chronicling of the crash of Swiss Air Flight 111 off Peggy's Cove, Nova Scotia in 1998. And, of course, the aforementioned Maritime UFO Files. Don Ledger, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm not bad, Richard. How are you tonight? Very well, thank you. Why is it that Shag Harbor doesn't get the attention uh, I'm sure you think it deserves, and I believe so as well? Um, actually, uh, it's uh, as far as attention goes, I think it's, it hasn't done too badly. I, I you know, it's probably not uh, uh, of uh, Roswell's fame and uh, uh, possibly uh, Rendlesham. But, uh, you know, it's been getting along pretty good on its own over the years. I mean, I've, myself and and the and uh, and Chris Tiles, uh, the on the odd occasion has been out on the road, uh, you know, um, uh, talking about the uh, the incident in Shag Harbor in '67. And it's a, 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 what's uh, arresting about the case is the fact that it had so much documentation attached to it. It wasn't uh, there's no doubt it occurred. You know, you didn't have to go uh, beating the bushes looking for witnesses or anything like that. They were all over the place down there. Plus. You know, the newspapers were writing about it. The Air Force was involved. The Navy was involved. You know, and uh, you know, a pretty, uh, pretty articulated case when you come right down to it. Well, it, it, does it not hold the distinction of being one of the, the world's few government-documented UFO cases? In other words, governments have admitted in documents that this was a, a genuine case of an unidentified flying object. Yeah, exactly. The uh, the what was called the air desk in Ottawa back in 1967. That was where UFO reports would go uh, in Canada and uh, probably down into the states. And uh, but uh, and uh, this would be the last year, or at least the, the dying months, you know, of 1967, early 68, uh, just about the time that the uh, uh, Project Blue Book faded out of the out of the picture, um, and they turned their um, their documentation over to anybody else that wanted to uh, to uh, take uh, you know UFO reports they gave up on them the same thing happened here in Canada which was you know kind of odd considering uh you know the uh, 
uh, the, the both both governments had been heavily involved in investigating uh, the investigation of UFOs since back in the late 40s, and I suspect even further back than that, probably right into the uh, you know maybe at the first of the se- first of the Second World War, uh, because you know what they call Foo Fighters and so on right. back in those days, but. Um, yeah, uh, strangely enough, it all sort of faded out after Shag Harbor and after the Condon uh, report down in the United States. Uh, th- that was an American uh, cop who really, you know, the mil- military used that one to, uh, they didn't solve anything. You know, most of the cases, uh, uh, two-thirds of their cases weren't solved in uh, the Condon report. And uh, and yet they said, well, I guess that's it. We solved everything, you know, and they gave up on it. But they were just looking for a way to get out of this thing. And... But uh, same thing happened here in Canada. So the UFO desk in, uh, in uh, or the air desk, I should say, in Ottawa, uh, you know, received the uh, reports uh, of this unidentified flying object fairly quickly from the Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax, which was, you know, quasi-military, uh, uh, well, it, it, military civilian, uh, by civilian I mean uh, RCMP, and uh you know ground forces and uh, c- civilian ground forces that would look for you know people that were lost or you know ships lost at sea and so on and so forth or aircraft lost and that's what happened in uh, back in uh, on, on the night of October 4th 1967 when this thing went into the harbor yeah well let's let's spend a, f- a few moments uh, we have some time let's let's talk about it in in some detail for those who who may not be familiar with what happened in August or October of 1967 uh, yeah. this well, it was uh, actually the night. The night itself was uh, it was uh, a kind of uh, it was a UFO evening. We called it the night of the UFOs in the book, and uh, there was uh, at least uh, thirty that we were aware of. Thirty UFO uh, different UFO reports around southwest, the, the southern portion of Nova Scotia, and um, but uh, one in particular, of course, was on you know on the night of 1967 in. Uh, down in Shag Harbor area, uh, a couple of fishermen were coming back from a um, a function in uh, Cape Sable Island at a community center there. It was a Wednesday night. Uh, it was about 20 to 25 after 12. These were two young fellows. They were only 18 years old at the time. And they'd been over to some this function, and uh, they had uh, one of them, Lori Wickens. He had his, his friend with him, and uh, three girls in the back seat, they were driving them home. And they were on the east side of Shag Harbor, heading into Shag Harbor, when they noticed a, a series of um, a, a row of lights in the sky off to the right side of the road on Old Highway Number Three in Nova Scotia, which is still there and it's just pretty much the same as it was then. Um, and, but as they as they watched it, uh, it it went parallel to the car, maybe up about a thousand or two thousand feet, uh, traveling with them, and then started to cut across the front of the car. You know, not close, but, uh, you know, maybe about a 1,000 feet away. And uh, they were following this thing and trying to keep up with it because they didn't know what the heck it was. Uh, uh, Their guess was at the time that it was an airplane of some description. Uh, They went through Shag Harbor and uh, out the other side of Shag Harbor. It doesn't take very long. Even today, it's not a very big little It's not a very big village. Um, And uh, on the other side of Shag Harbor, there's an area called Maggie Garrens Point. And uh, they... Crossed that point, and uh, on the far side of that, they just lost sight of it as it went down behind the trees and seemed to be going down at about a 45 degree angle. And they were they thought it was going to crash into the harbor or the water just off of the harbor to the west side of the harbor. And they got past the tree line and then they came right over towards onto the edge of the ocean. Uh, 
and um, there's a there's a, a building there that's still there today, which back in the day was a, an Irish moss plant. They used to gather Irish moss, and I, they apparently it's used to make iodine or something. And uh, when they got to this uh, uh, position, uh, there's a large gravel parking lot there, so they pulled in on that, and that's right on the edge of the water. And um, and they got out, and they saw this light floating on the water, what they described as a pale yellow light and a dark object drifting or under its own power, uh, apparently with the tide. Uh, or they figured maybe it was under its own power, too. They were concerned because they thought it was uh, a, an aircraft. So they went to, um, or an airliner or something of that description. So they went, they got back in the car and went uh, about a half mile further down the road into Lower Woods Harbor, the next village down, and uh, found a payphone down there. And they, uh, Lori called the um, RCMP back in uh in Barrington Passage, which was on the opposite side of Shag Harbor from him, and said that they thought that they saw an airplane crash into the sound next to Shag Harbor. Um, Victor Werbicki was the um, uh, corporal on duty that night, and he asked him uh, if he was uh, had been drinking. And Lori said, no, I haven't been drinking. And uh, was a little uh, ticked off that he was asked that question. They always ask that, don't they? Yeah, well, they did back in those days. If you read a lot of RCMP yeah. reports in those days, it always said that the subject seemed to be a sober, sober individual and did not appear to be drinking. We have about 11, 12 witnesses who hear this whooshing sound, a loud bang, and then all of a sudden they see this, some sort of a craft floating in the Gulf of Maine uh, off of a Shag Harbor. Uh, and at what, at what point does the Canadian military become involved in a subsequent recovery uh, rescue effort? Uh, yeah, well, that night they, um, because they, uh, they uh, the RCMP had called the um, Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax because not only had uh, Lori Wickens uh, called in that he thought an airplane might have crashed into the sound, but uh, several other people around the area had called it in at just about the same time. And uh, he asked Laurie to stay where he uh, uh, to return to the uh, uh, Irish Moss plant and keep an eye on it. Um, sure, you know within a uh, you know very few minutes after this, the uh, other people started coming in, uh, you know, rolling into the lot and uh, and asking Laurie what was going on and what was that thing out in the water, I suppose. And uh, then the RCMP showed up. By the time they got there, there was at least a dozen people standing around. And, you know, during the uh, the ensuing, uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes, there was as many as 24 there from what we understand now. Uh, even one uh, of a former premier in Nova Scotia was coming back from, he wasn't a premier then, but he would be th- uh, three years later. And um, he just happened by at the time, was standing there looking out and watching this thing too. I didn't know that until back a couple of years ago. But anyway, so... Uh, because the Rescue Coordination Center had been alerted, you know, who would uh, alert the Navy and uh, and the uh, quite often they alert fishing boats in the area too to uh, sure. go out and have a, to search as they did. If, right. uh, which I, I found it kind of strange the similarity between this a UFO case and this crash of Swiss Air Flight 111 about how the thing started up, you know, with people out looking on the water with fishing boats and so on, and the Navy getting involved. But anyway, the the shortness because uh, you know I've, I've I've given lectures on this thing and I can talk for three hours just trying to get the whole story in. Right. But uh, so anyway. They did get a couple of fishermen. They went out on the water, and they went out to the uh, western approach uh, uh, past the Maggie Garrens Point, 
ran across the, the famous uh, glittery yellow foam. Didn't know what that was. Tried to take samples of it out on the water. Um, but this time the uh, Coast Guard cutter over at uh, Cape Sable Island in Clark's Harbor had fired up and was on its way over. And it took about an hour to get there. And uh, it came over with news from RCC that there was uh, no air, aircraft missing or anything. They do a normal search like that when anybody says they, are, uh, when there's reports of an aircraft maybe crashing, they'll they'll do a, an airport search, uh, uh, trying to discover if uh, an airplane is missing. And uh, this night they couldn't do the all up and down the eastern seaboard really of not just Canada but down into the states. Right. And nothing was missing, and so then that left the, the fishermen. By this time, there were six boats out there, plus the Coast Guard cutter, uh, wondering, well, what the heck were they looking for? What was out on the, had happened on the water? Uh, before the uh, Mounties had left the area there to go out on the fishing boats, this thing had apparently sunk. Either that or the light went out. When the fishermen went out there and the Mounties went out there, they fully expected to find uh, floating wreckage. They expected to find... Uh, maybe survivors or even bodies. Right, of, right. Uh, and there were about 10 RCMP officers at the scene, were there not? Uh, there were three. Three. Yeah. Actually, there was four, but uh, the, he, he just happened by. But uh, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't on duty at the time. And uh, another one involved further over uh, across the province watching an object, you know, maybe 10 minutes before that, heading over towards the Shag Harbor area, him and, uh, and uh, three game wardens. Uh, they rode at night uh, looking for uh, deer uh, deer poachers, or as they call them, or deer jackers down in this area. So, anyway, the thing of it was, this quickly went, we quickly went from Wednesday night on October, you know, October the 4th into October the 5th into the morning on Thursday. And by this time now, the RCC had contacted Ottawa, Ottawa had contacted Maritime Command in, uh, in Halifax. Maritime Command, uh, uh, you know, uh, alerted their... Uh, uh, fleet diving unit because they uh, thought they might be looking for something underwater and so it was Friday afternoon about 1 o'clock when uh, the divers finally got to the site uh, and uh, started diving in the water and they dove from about uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon till 6 o'clock that night and they couldn't find anything on the bottom and were ready to give it up but the RCC told them to keep going until they were told to stop and they did, they kept going right up until Sunday night but they never found anything, uh, and uh, the uh, story sort of ended there. Uh, but uh, not the uh, not the uh, the UFO documents that came from the RCMP and from the uh, the military CFA, uh, CFAO, uh, which are called Canadian Forces Action Orders, 71-6 uh, UFO reporting forms and uh, and uh, action orders coming from Ottawa to uh, Halifax and from Halifax to the diving unit and so on and so forth. So there's something like 30 documents there, plus the fact that the uh, Herald, uh, Halifax Chronicle Herald on Friday um, put out a newspaper uh, uh, headline, two inches high in red. Now, this is the oldest newspaper in in, uh, in eastern Canada and probably in Canada. And uh, these, it was a very conservative paper. It wasn't a kind of paper that would do this sort of thing. And it had two-inch high banner headlines saying maybe something concrete to UFO crash in Shake Harbor, uh, RCAF, which the the Air Force was called back then, of course, is now. But um, anyway, so this thing uh, after that point just sort of shut down, and then it went to the went into the story phase that we, uh, uh, as we call it, because we had no documentation, but we had anecdotal evidence of it from military personnel and so on of. Uh, 
this thing apparently going underwater up in towards Shelburne, off of, off the mouth of Shelburne Harbor, which is about 23 miles further up to the northeast, and divers diving on a couple of objects on the bottom. Six or seven ships are camped over top, and submarine, you know, a, a couple of frigates, um, destroyers, I should say, and even maybe possibly an American uh, submarine in the area as well. But um, the um, it it just uh, it just got so convoluted with uh, different stories and. Uh, from different people that it was hard to keep track of it. Well, and I believe the Chronicle Herald ran another story, uh, and uh, you talked about it being a conservative paper. The the headline was UFO search called off. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had um, back then the uh, the owner of the the paper was uh, Harold Dennis, and uh, he called in Ray McLeod, who was the guy that wrote the original story that had the banner headline on it, and he's the guy that interviewed uh, Squadron Leader Vane at the air, air desk in Ottawa. Who told him that you know he'd uh, he didn't know what they were seeing down there that night, but he himself had seen an unidentified flying object while flying a, uh, I believe it was a, a CF-100 at the time back when he was flying, and um, so the um, the story uh, uh, Ray McLeod was taken off the story. He wrote about three different stories, and then he was taken off the story because he was told he was scaring people. And um, which was a little hard to believe. We're not sure what happened there. Another guy was assigned to the stories, and after that, the stories just sort of went wishy-washy. They didn't have any substance to them. And um, the uh, the you know, as far as scaring people down here, I mean, people have been you know putting up with uh, dying at sea for years and years and sure. years. You know, fishermen and so on, thousands of them. And mine disasters and air disasters and all the rest of them and the Halifax explosion and uh, back in 1917, you know that sort of thing. So I don't think people down here were that easily scared, particularly particularly fishermen, you know. So why do you do you have any theories as to why he was pulled off the story? Yeah, I think somebody, you know, maybe uh, he was, uh, you know, got, you know, somebody called, you know, maybe saying, well, you know. You're giving us a lot of credibility by writing about this in a you know a major Canadian newspaper, and uh, uh, you know maybe you're not doing the right right thing here. You know you're going to get people upset and so on and so forth. It's hard to say. This has happened before. We lost a, a good investigator, uh, or you know a, a few uh, about a week ago, I guess Richard Hansen, who wrote yes, the Missing yes, Times. You're yes. aware of him, eh? Yes, died in his well, sleep. That, you know that's that's a well-known thing among. You know, it can happen with the uh, with the news and uh, how these stories get pulled. It's happened in the states and uh, it's happened here. That other book, uh, Maritime UFO Files, was a result of my my research and Chris Stiles. He had researched, done some research, told me about these uh, files that were available from the federal government through the library loaner system. And back then, it was about seventy seven hundred uh, cases, UFO cases. So I got them uh, uh, the uh, RG sixty seven files, which are microfilm. And I went through, it took me three months to go through those. I, I was able to keep extending my time that I was able to keep them at the Halifax uh, Regional Library, the main branch. And um, and every once in a while I'd run across one that was peculiar to the Maritimes. And, or, you know, and Maritimes, of course, are Nova Scotia, PEI, and New Brunswick. And then there's Newfoundland Labrador. Right. And uh, so uh, all of those, I, I gathered as many as I could. There was about 500 of them. Because of that, when I was going through them, I was thinking, my, my, you know, there's a story here. And uh, so I put together a book. I used about 140 to 150 of the best cases. And, right. And uh, 
that that resulted in the book Maritime UFO Files. Well, and and what is fascinating to me is that is that many of those, uh, not many, but there are some prominent cases that predate. Uh, the 1947 Kenneth Arnold sighting, which is sort of ground zero for the whole flying saucer phenomenon. You go back to the late 18th century. Yeah. Um, uh, tell me about that. Yeah, that was a. Uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He was a judge, was he not? He was a judge. He was a judge, wasn't he? Yeah, Simeon Perkins. His name was. Um, there's actually a museum down in uh, in uh, in Liverpool. Nova Scotia, with uh, with uh, you know where he was a judge at the time, and he'd uh, uh, taken a report from uh, a couple of uh, men that were over in the New Minas area, which is on the opposite side of Nova Scotia and further up up the coast, you know, or up, up around Kemple in the Annapolis Valley area, and uh, having him, those two men and a 13-year-old girl having seen a ship in the sky that they said was well seven, you know, five ships in the sky actually in a straight line traveling along, and of course. Stylized with a, a man over, standing outward with his hand pointing forward, and uh, reported this to uh, the judge, and um, and he wrote wrote you know wrote it up as a curious uh, item, and uh, we picked up on it. Um, the uh, which you know to me sounds like uh, ships in the sky back in those days. The the the, the leading technology uh, back in the late 1700s would have been uh, you know sailing ships. And, uh, or a hot air balloon. Or a hot air balloon, yeah, at the, at the most. It was just a curious one, and it was a way to lead off the book. And then, of course, you know, I had them up in uh, 19, uh, I believe it was 24, 1932, another one in 39. Some of them similar, quite similar. The one in 1932 was, uh, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a Canadian pilot, it was a Danish pilot. We was flying up off the uh, Canadian coast, though. Um, and, uh, Spotted an unaffected, and this was a very, you know, just pretty much the same way as you would get the reports today, of, a, of an ovoid object following along uh, behind him and uh, or coming up uh, alongside him. I believe off to his right side. I don't have the book in front of me now, and uh, it's been a while since I read my own book. But the uh, the object, he he felt there was malevolence there, you know, that uh, that it did not. Uh, mean him, mean him any goodwill or anything like that. When he's in an open cockpit airplane, probably sure. freezing to death as he's flying along too. Back in those days, but uh, anyway, they went on from there, and uh, I, I sprinkled a few of those in, and then they pick up again back in 1947. Curiously enough, and of course, as we know now, these things seem to go back for centuries and centuries. Yes, but, uh, yes. The, the Ken Arnold uh, case just seemed to, for some reason, triggered in the public mind, and 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 they picked up on it, and it. It just went on from there. Oh, I just wanted to go back to Shag Harbor for a moment. Uh, sure. We have a break coming up. But what, one of the, I guess, perhaps one of the missing elements in the story uh, that uh, that you know Roswell has, that Re- that Bent Waters or Rendlesham has, and some others have, is uh, a cover up. I mean, there doesn't seem to be that that angle to Shag Harbor. Could that be one of the reasons? Although it's a famous incident, maybe hasn't captured the attention like a Roswell. Well, that could be. Uh, if there's any cover-up, it's the cover-up of the second part of the story, which is, uh, uh, you know, the uh, military witnesses that came forward after the fact, um, you know, many years later about what, the, uh, you know, that this thing, the biggest story took place uh, up off of uh, Shelburne. Uh, when it was seen know, traveling underwater. Yeah, 
traveling underwater and going up there. And then they had, uh, again, the fleet diving unit was involved. And when uh, Ashley Christiles had a friend uh, who was a, his father was a trainer, uh, a, a diving trainer at, uh, the, at the fleet diving unit. That's a naval unit, um, by the way, uh, in, in Halifax. And um, he asked him if he could ask his father if he could maybe get the uh, names of the guys that were involved in the dive down at Shea Herbert. And his father said, yeah, the Guy Fenn Sr. was his name, Guy Fenn, and he was a senior. The son was the same name, Junior there. But he he, um, he got names, and he, and Chris got the names, and when he went to check them out, uh, the first guy, he uh, actually the first fellow has actually passed away already from cancer. But anyway, uh, when Chris got the, on to the second fellow, he said that, uh, oh, yeah, but it wasn't in Shag Herb, it was off Shelburne. And, and Chris said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah, Shelburne. Shag Harbor's in Shelburne County. Right, and, right. Uh, but uh, he said, no, 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 we were off the mouth of the harbor, off McNutt's Island, Shag Harbor, or uh, Shelburne Harbor. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, he kept bumping into this story, and then I started bumping into it myself, and then some other people came along that were involved that were in the Air Force. Uh, a couple other military per- personnel. I see you've got to go there. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll take a time out, uh, Don. Okay, and uh, we'll con- we'll pick it up on the other side. Sure. The Maritime UFO Files with Don Ledger. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No. Me either. But I guess you better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Writer, author, pilot Don Ledger is with us, and uh, his book is The Maritime UFO Files. I wanted to ask you about uh, about missing time uh, and, and uh, the alien abduction phenomenon. First of all, with, with Shag Harbor, I know that previous to the actual crash of this craft into into the uh, Gulf of Maine. There were a number of, uh, about a dozen sightings or, or more, uh, but did any of them involve missing time? Um, I, I don't think I ran across, or, or, or neither did Chris, across anything to do with missing time uh, regarding uh, Shag Harbor, but uh, there was a mention by a couple witnesses um there were some strange coincidences going on here, running into people years later that uh, who were actually from the area and had experienced some weird, uh, uh, had some weird experiences. I should say, but, you know, during the uh, during that time period, we're, we're talking about a week uh, from uh, you know October uh, uh, 
4th to the 11th. Um, in that area, there was a lot of weird goings on, particularly up towards Shelburne. Um, but uh, I, I can't ever remember anybody ever mentioning anything about missing time, although the other documents that I and and, and my own personal uh, investigations of some people down here, which it was an area that I wasn't even prepared to go into, Richard, to be honest with you, when I first got involved in this. And I've been at this 25 years now, but I, you sort of get drawn in because the, 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 you know, the character of the witnesses and so on. Well, and, but, but, and you do, you do document some abduction cases in, in uh, the Maritime UFO files. Yeah, right, yeah. And, um, the, um, and, and since then as well, you know, I've got a really excellent one with a retired uh, military officer and his, uh, driver. This again was in Nova Scotia and, uh, in the middle of the day during daytime. Daylight hours when they're coming back from uh, Camp Gagetown and uh, down in in, uh, <clears throat> in New Brunswick. You know that's a huge training area, military and training area. Not only the Canadian military train there, but the U.S. come up and train, and some European uh, uh, troops come over to train. You know, right? And uh, but the uh, uh, and this particular one involved a huge monster, monstrous unidentified flying object uh, hovering over a small town. Not far from where uh, an airfield where I fly my airplane, and um, the, um, the the thing of it is, when they spotted the aircraft, uh, uh, him and the driver, they pulled over the side of the road, and they were in a nice clear area to see it too. Um, the um, when he got back in the car uh, and, and noticed the time, he uh, two hours had gone missing, just like that. You know, they stopped to look at this thing at around 2 o'clock, and when they got back in the car, it was here, it was 10 after 4. My word. Both he and his son corroborated well, It that. wasn't his son. It oh. was a, a driver. A driver, a sorry. military driver, yeah. Okay, they both corroborated. Yeah. But, um, the, um, you know, and, and over the years, he's asked me several times if I can explain this to him, and I said, uh, well, I, I, you know, I've told you my explanation for it, and he's had other weird experiences, for, you know, in his life, too, so... Um, what was your expl- what was your explanation for it? Well, to tell them, you know, that uh, you're not the only one to have this experience, you know, that this happened before when unidentified flying objects are concerned, you know, particularly, uh, uh, you know, a monster like this thing they, you know, the thing they saw that day, and uh, they, um, it's, you know, it, you don't know it's coming. It, it always seems to happen when you least expect it. This type of thing, as a lot of things do in life, I guess. But in this particular instance, uh, you know, there was just an innocent afternoon driving a car back, heading back to a base in Nova Scotia. i got to be very careful what I tell you here because this guy does not want his name mentioned in public because he's a public figure. Understandably so, yeah. yes. And um, so, and I've had others contact me about this uh, sort of thing. I remember getting back from a trip down to the United States, and I wasn't in the house 10 minutes when the phone rang, and it was a call from a fellow in B.C., very uh, well-connected, highly regarded, uh, respected financier in, in British Columbia who was having these experiences for years. And he, uh, why he called me, I don't know, right across the country. He must have got my name somewhere. And, uh, uh, you know, I put him on to some people out in British Columbia to, uh, that, would, that could do some, you know, maybe help him, suggest some people he could talk to and so on. There's a very few people in, uh, in this business that can... Uh, Really talk with authority about uh, you know like Bud Hopkins and so on. And, right, uh, and we lost him. Yeah, we lost him. Uh, so there's David Jacobs. David Jacobs is still going, and right. uh, Don Dondery, up there, who's now retired and professor from uh, university in uh, uh, in 
I believe it was York University, if I remember correctly. He used to, Bud Hopkins used to refer cases to him. But, uh, and I'm no expert that, uh, I'm, uh, in that area myself, you know, as to doing, uh, uh, I've never done any uh, regressions or anything like that. I, no, I understand you're not a big fan of that. Well, uh, I, I don't want to mess around with people's heads. <laughs> and there seems to be a real problem here, but there are people that have the ability, uh, better, better, better at it than I am, you know, more knowledgeable than I am to, to do that sort of thing. So I've, I just, I would rather defer to the experts, you know. But you said that you were hesitant to, to even get into the, into researching alien abductions. Why is that? Well, because it's, um, for the very reasons I just explained, I, I really have no expertise in that area. Uh, you know, when it comes to unidentified flying objects, I, I've got a lot of experience with aircraft. You know, I've been flying for about 34 years now, and I've been interested in, uh, you know, uh, aircraft ever since I was a kid. So I've, I've airplanes, 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 airplanes. But when it comes to abductions, when you seem to be getting into a psychological side here, and uh, not only psychological, but the physical side of it as well, you know, um, that's um that's not i'm not i have i have very little ex, uh experience in that side of it you know I but as you say it, it draws you in it does draw you in yeah don how would you compare let's say for example your colleagues in the united states who are trying to uh, research ufo cases and 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 often oftentimes uh with FOIA requests and so forth will will uh, really be stymied and and um, have all these obstacles and hurdles to overcome because of the I guess the secrecy and so forth how do you compare that with uh, your work here in Canada is the government more cooperative disinterested how, how do you view it? yeah no they're not more cooperative if anything it's it's harder to get cases up here get the files up here than it is in the United States their Freedom of Information Act seems to have more teeth in it than ours does up here uh, you, you have to <clears throat> what I usually run up against is the fact that, well, we're really understaffed, we don't have much of a budget, you know, we, we don't have the time to research this stuff so we can send it to you. And um, sometimes you they would foot-drag over the, the smallest little details. Uh, you know, ship movements in Halifax, for instance, you know, going back to Shea Garber again, trying to find out what ships were moving around. And uh, we'd have to go to the newspapers to read the shipping news to see what was going on. But if you were looking for naval vessels and so on and specific reasons where they were going, what they were doing and so on, you just couldn't get any information. And uh, and as far as I know, and I'm not the only one that's complained about that. I mean, you get people in all walks of life, uh, newspaper reporters, uh, you know, in normal stories just trying to get information out of the government, whether it be federal, municipal, or, or provincial, you know, is always a problem. Um but uh, yeah, like I said, uh, in the United States, it seems that, and in England, uh, they seem to be able to get more details from uh, uh, from their government through their Freedom of Information Act, and uh, which we uh, more so than we can here. Uh, and sometimes I, I, you know, I often envy them down there the the the, the detail they can get. Look, uh, the uh, uh, the Black Vault. There, um, what's the young fellow's name? I've forgotten his name. Oh, Greenwald. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, I'm sorry, but I've been traveling for three days now. I'm kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Greenwald. Yeah, Jonathan Greenwald. I've known him for years, and I've forgotten his name. Of course, his old age as well kicking in here. Uh, but um, yeah, it, you know, the, uh, the 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 depth of the uh, information that he's managed to get from his government, I, I can't imagine that ever happening here in Canada. Well, in in Britain, for example, they had that big. Uh, a dump of of UFO files. Uh, have we had anything like that uh, here in Canada? No. I, well, we 
the UFO files we did have were, were there, just nobody knew they were there to look for. Uh, the, when I, I think I mentioned, you know, the RG-77, or RG-76 files, the, um, the microfilm, um, that we were able to obtain, which is a microfilm, and then you blow it up on the screen viewer that you see on the, uh, that you use in the old library readers. They don't, they don't have that stuff anymore. It's all computerized now. But back then, there was around 7,700 UFO reports. Uh, now, I use quote marks on either side of my head for that one, um, because, um, the uh, some of the stuff that was in there was just complete garbage. It was gobbledygook. It didn't make any sense. Uh, it wasn't reports. It was you know some guy, for instance, who wrote in pages. It must have been about a hundred or 150 pages of just letters on a page, just just symbols and so on. And they didn't mean anything. But they went in. They got part. They got. They went into the files and they were recorded. Uh, it, after 1967, after the air dust stopped taking uh, the uh, UFO reports. Uh, it went to the uh, to the National Research Council in Ottawa, and uh, they they were supposed to take the UFO report. So when RCMP officers or anybody else uh, took our, uh, a UFO report, you know, uh, they do do it up triplicate, send it off to the National Research Council. The National Research Council would shift through them, sift through them. They had seven or eight scientists across the country who were involved with uh, uh, astronomy. Look at them and and sift out the uh, what might be uh, meteor reports, so that they could uh, maybe triangulate, possibly find remains of a meteor somewhere. That's all they were interested in. The rest of them they just they just ignored those and didn't investigate them at all. So there was no investigation after 1967 at all, or, or say uh, the 67, 68, uh, early in 68. And uh, the Herzog Herzog Institute at the National Research. Uh, was contracted by the National Research Council. They they had a lot of the reports, but they were usually the ones that were the uh, media for meteor files. Uh, have have you noted any improvement in uh, in the reportage of of UFO sightings by mainstream media in Canada? Um, no, actually, you know, it seems nowadays that the uh, uh, the detail that you get now compared to what you used to get back in the day. Because uh, quite often, you know, if a newspaper story came out with a came out about a UFO report, it would might, could be followed up for days. Uh, the RCMP or the police they would uh, do a, de- a fairly detailed report, you know, with as much as they could do with say one constable on scene or something, you know, in some remote spot, and uh, and write it up. And uh, and usually it, it it always said at the end that the matter ended here, you know, because they had no way of solving. It. They didn't know what it was. Uh, they, they, they might go to the Air Force or, or, you know, or civilian aviation and ask them if they had any aircraft over the area at the time. But, but they did that at least back in the day. But now you don't even get that. I've uh, run across uh, uh, reports. People will email me and uh, re- report something, so I'll contact. If, if, they, if, if they email me within a short length of time, I, I did one down here back in uh, 2003. I know that's going back some, but... Uh, it was a fairly detailed uh, uh, report of a UFO by a person down in Cow Bay, Nova Scotia. I wrote it up, and uh, and uh, it'll be in my one of my next books. Um, the uh, of an object, and this is one of these huge triangular objects passing over a woman's house down at a place called Cow Bay, not far from uh, Shearwater, uh, 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 CFB Shearwater, and. Uh, on the dark side of the harbor from Halifax, but anyway, this uh, 
this thing, uh, I contacted several newspapers to see if they'd gotten any reports. In the RCMP, I contacted them. I also contacted the Halifax Police, the Darkwood Police, and so on, see if anybody had uh, picked up on this one. And somebody called me back from one of the newspapers and uh, and uh, asked me some more questions about it. But that very next day, I was going away for on vacation for about ten days, and uh, before I knew it, when I got, uh, I ran into some friends up in uh, uh, Toronto area here, and uh, they said, "No, I see, uh, you know, you had that case thing going on down in Nova Scotia." And I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "It was on TV." I said, it was. He said, yeah, and it, 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 this thing really got legs. It was it was in the French newspapers in, in, the, in, in France, I mean, you know, in the English newspaper, even the Japanese newspaper reported this. So it picked it up on wire, right, on, online, you know, off the wire or sure. something like that, and it went with it. it. It's amazing how this will get legs because it had that little interest factor in there, you know, so a, a woman alone at night watching this thing cross over her lot with her... A uh, crippled dog who suddenly got up and ran away, frightened. The first, first time it had run in in years, you know, or in the last couple of years, this type of thing. And when I did measurements on it, and since this happened fairly quickly, uh, before just before I went away, I went over and interviewed her. I did measurements, you know, angles and so on and so forth to to, to, to get the size of the thing. Turns out this thing was actually uh, captured on uh, on radar and was on radar tapes uh, with uh, uh, Moncton Center up in uh, New Brunswick. And um, so it was a pretty good report, you know. And uh, the uh, uh, I've always uh, I've always looked, kind of liked the case myself because it had a, a report. But anyway, the, this particular object uh, over the lot, if you do the angles, you know the 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 the, the circumference of her uh, the tree circling her house, and the uh, height of the trees, and the the maximum level from the UF from the radar report. Was able to determine this thing was probably about 3,600 foot, 3,600 feet on a side. Um, so you know, three sides at about 3,600 feet. That's a pretty big object. Well, we are getting reports, more and more reports. It seems worldwide of these uh, immense triangular craft, so large that when you look up at them, they obliterate the night sky. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, what this one did. Hovering almost like giant box stores. Yeah. Hovering. What what is your sense? What, what why why the increase in sightings of these types of craft? Is this some sort of black ops uh, project, or are these? Yeah, actually- see now, there's where my my aviation side kicks in. I know there's no way that the uh, military have anything like 3,600 feet on one side. You know, uh, just you can imagine the. Uh, it's not only the length, you know, the, the length of the sides, but now you're going to have a depth in this thing you know it has to be a certain thickness in order to support itself you know what about a stealth dirigible no this i mean even now the 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 biggest they're going they've got is about 250 feet and they're working up to maybe 300 now mind you back in the uh in the zeppelin days uh early zeppelin i think they had one that was about 600 feet long but um structured but uh these things are you know were very unwieldy and so on, not triangular shaped or anything like that. Uh, there and there doesn't there's there just is no military background for it, and and there's no excuse for it either. There's no no need of it. Um, why they would put all this money out and then they're spending all this money uh, elsewhere, you know, on uh, conventional aircraft. Um, I I don't know. It just it just doesn't rhyme. There's no rhyme or reason to that, you know, to the uh, military military secret military explanation, and we've been getting that. 
<laughs> ever since uh, Ken Arnold, right? Right. Uh, you know, oh, it's a secret military aircraft. But, you know, how many years has gone by since that now? Almost 70. And But yet no military aircraft has shown up to explain that one away, you know. Or in it, that could do what these things could do even back in uh, 1947. Right. I wanted to get your take on uh, back in 2005 when former Canadian Defense Minister uh, Paul Hellier came forward to talk about UFOs yeah. here at the University of Toronto. Were you present at that? Uh... I wasn't at the meeting, but I I knew of Paul Hellier from back in his day when uh, when he converted the forces over to the... Yeah, not a very popular decision. No, it wasn't at that time. It wasn't popular with me either. <laughs> but I was really surprised when he... Came out, you know, and you know, I knew he was the defense minister. I knew exactly who he was as soon as his name was mentioned. That was, uh, you know, because I'm old enough to go back that far. And uh, but the uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was quite surprising, and it sort of gave the uh, Canadian uh, side of it uh, legs. You know, in the states, they, they constantly refer to him down there and bring him up. You know. And just to recap for those, Victor has, of course. Oh yes, well, Victor uh, is frequ- Victor Vigiani is a frequent uh, guest on the program here, and um, was really instrumental in getting the right honourable uh, Paul Hellier to come forward. Yeah, or the honourable Paul Hellier, I shouldn't say right yeah. honourable. Although he was deputy prime minister, he, he was, was a heartbeat yeah. away that from would being make him right honourable. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, and uh, basically, for those not familiar with what he said, that in a nutshell, everything we've heard about Roswell, for example, is true and more. Yeah. The problem with Roswell is getting the documentation, you know, and uh, or you know, getting anybody to admit on the military side. But the thing of it is, now 1947, the people involved back then, uh, like Stan Friedman says, you know, you're pitting yourself against the Undertaker, you know, trying to get the witnesses before they pass away. It is. It's a race with yeah. the Undertaker. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Stanton Friedman, uh, any word on his uh, his health? I know he yeah, suffered a heart attack. Yeah, I understand he's uh, recovering nicely and he's going to be okay as far as I know. I've got sketchy information from Paul Kimball, uh, who I was emailing with uh, back a few days ago. About, I didn't know myself until uh, probably about four or five days ago that Stan had had a heart attack because he was a uh, going concern there. Well, we pray for a full recovery. Yeah. He's uh, one of the giants in the field. Listen, Don, thank you for joining us tonight, and congratulations on the uh, the new mystery suspense novel, Bloodshock. This is new territory for you. Yeah, it is, yeah. Just go to uh, Amazon.ca and pick one up, or, or you know, or find out where they're there and, and what bookstore and no one. I'd much appreciate it. Okay, Don Ledger, the Maritime UFO Files, and, of course, Dark Object, which highlighted the Shag Harbor UFO incident. Thanks again, Don. Well, thanks very much for having me, Richard. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>